yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara egornamian on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. What's it like being the CIO of one of the most iconic pandemic-era tech companies in the world? Well, no one knows better than Harry Mosley, Zoom's chief information officer. The man from Earth Farnham has been close to the helm of a company whose very name has become a verb in the English language. But what's coming next? Is the drive for remote working stalling? And can Zoom pull back from a steep decline in its own share price? I'm Adrian Weckler, and you're listening to The Big Tech Show. Harry Mosley, you are retiring as the co-CIO of Zoom in four weeks' time. It's been a kind of an incredible journey for you. Can you just briefly recap how it was that you arrived at being CIO at Zoom? Sure. So, um, first of all, uh, Adrian, it's great to be back here and uh, doing this podcast with you. Uh, It's hard to believe that we did this, what was it, two years ago? Two years ago, we yeah, where's all the time goes of, huh? of the lockdown? The early throes of the lockdown. Yeah, so uh, you know, in in some ways it feels like it was yesterday. In other ways, it feels like it was like a lifetime ago. So that so happens much, when you're over forty, Harry. But go on. Yeah. So much has happened, but yeah. So um, joining Zoom and now retiring from Zoom. So book ending. Um, so I retired in December of 2017 from KPMG with a certain plan about what I wanted to do with the next chapter of my life, which was uh, focused on three things. One is um, charity was going to occupy about 30% of my life. Uh, About 20% was going to learn how to program again because I started my career as a programmer. And then 50% of my life was going to be working with a couple of different private equity firms as they're like their, quote, CTO in residence, if you will. Obviously, uh, none of that happened. Um, you know, Zoom reached out to me four days after I retired and sucked me in. And once I met Eric Yuan, our CEO and founder, and understood his vision for building a UCAS platform, his um, his personality, what a nice person he was, and the architectural differences of the Zoom platform versus everything else that was out there, I thought, hmm, this could be a lot of fun. Little did I know what sort of ride I was in for uh, at that time. And it's been, you know, just a, an amazing journey. 
you know, all four and a half years have been absolutely incredible working with amazing people around the world. And, uh, you know, it's sort of, you know, the vision and the mission that Zoom was founded on, sort of the vision is all about sort of how do we create a virtual experience that's as good as, if not better than the in-person experience? We're doing that now. It's like if you think about language translation, if you have a bunch of people meeting in a room speaking different languages, you got to elect which language you want to speak. But with language translation, people working in a virtual environment, they can actually speak their native language and they'll hear their native language uh, and they'll read their native language through language translation. So that's better than an in-person experience. If you think about virtual events, hybrid events, being able to sort of connect with people in a virtual environment while still listening to the keynote on the main stage, you can do that in a virtual environment. You really can't do that in the in-person experience. So I have a short story about that. I was in Apple last week for the launch of its MacBook Air and all of its iPad OS and Mac OS and Watch OS and iOS upgrades. And they brought us out and brought us into Apple Park in the grassy bit in the sunshine, gave us deck chairs and factor 30 sun cream. And Tim Cook came out and he said hi. And Craig Federighi then came out and said hi. And then they showed us the 90 minutes of VT that they showed everyone else around the world. Now, I had my iPad in front of me. So I had the, the VT on the iPad and the big screen because I needed to capture visual assets. But it struck me at the time that here I am at a physical conference, and yet I'm still relying to some degree on a video uh, calling or conferencing app at the same time. I'm wondering, is that where we're going? Because it strikes me that obviously Zoom's rise was when the pandemic really struck and we, were, we all had to work remotely. Yeah. Now, a lot of people are going back to the office, not everyone, but a lot of people. So I'm wondering what our workplace will look like and what a company like Zoom, what part? Yeah, might so, um, uh, so yes, the um, virtual environment is, uh, you know, fundamentally here to stay. It's like, you know, sort of the pandemic for all of it, its negatives. It's like it was a, a catalyst um, of the on the trajectory that we were already on, right? It accelerated that trajectory. So, quote, the, you know, video is the new voice. You know, whether you're a kindergartner in school or you're a senior citizen, people now understand that. Why? Because I'm looking at you, you're nodding. Those nonverbal cues, the smiles, the head nods, the shakes, all those things are critical now to, you know, sort of communications. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, people miss the in-person contact. And I'm at, you know, the Dublin Technology Summit up here in Ballsbridge, and it's nice to see people in 3D. Um, uh, but it's nice not to travel either so frequently for business. And it's nice to be able to connect with people around the world. So the future, I fundamentally believe, as do many people around the world, that it's going to be a hybrid version. You're not going to go back to the office five days a week. Um, you know, it's the, you know, the general consensus is that the purpose of the office, the, uh, the, the purpose of the office is where people come together to work together to ideate together to brainstorm together in some cases you know the, um, uh, they've created offices to be a social place why because they want to attract people to come into the office there's a company in new york that took a floor and they've made it into a social space 
and they have happy hour at four o'clock to six o'clock on Thursdays. And people come in to the office on Thursdays because of happy hour. Can I ask you to sell alcohol? What's that? Do they sell alcohol? They don't sell it. It's available. Or it's available. Because <clears throat> there was a happy hour. I remember when Airbnb set up its office in Dublin and they had put this big Irish bar in and it looked fantastic. And they had a happy hour set for a certain day of the week. And then I asked them, right, so can I get a beer? Oh, no, no. We only sell beer every Tuesday from 5 to 5.30 or something like that. Yeah. No, they're they're serving beer and wine, no hot alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So Not even- selling their they're pro- providing, providing it or, or giving it. Even with that said, the news pages have been dominated in recent weeks with a different type of a narrative. It's one led by people like Elon Musk and Apple and Google. Uh, Elon goes as far as to say, basically, come back into the office or find another job. And I'm paraphrasing here, pretend to work elsewhere. Tim Cook is been quite clear that he wants as many people back in physical offices as possible. In Dublin here, Google has started to bring uh, most of its people back, including all of its contractors, at least several days a week. I'm wondering, when we last spoke, I think there was an idea that remote working for a lot of people was an option that was here to stay. That may still be the case, but it doesn't seem to be as bullish a case now as it was then. Or or is it? Am I misreading? I, I think it is. It's, you know... I think the misinterpretation is that if you're working remote, you're working five days a week. I don't think that, I don't think people believe that's a realistic situation. I think it's, you know, many companies are selecting two days a week, three days a week. You know, um, you know, there's one, one, one client I know that said you can work any day, you can be remote any day of the week except Mondays and Fridays. And when, when they said that, I asked, why Mondays and Fridays? You, you know, they want everybody in the office on Mondays and Fridays. They said, well, it's very simple, Harry. We want to avoid the four-day weekend. Um, so uh, I think the notion of being you know, sort of remote 100% of the time is not going to work for everybody. It'll work for some people. Um, I mean, Zoom, some, you guys are mostly remote. Is that correct? Or? Yeah, so we've adopted uh, three different work styles, you know, sort of where you can elect to be uh, remote, you can elect to be hybrid, and you can elect to be in the office, uh, irrespective of where you live relative to one of our offices. So you can live in, you know, next door to an office, and you can say, I want to be remote 100%. Uh, and, you know, it's, um, I think the po- last point on this, Adrian, is that, you know, right now, people are thinking a lot of things. You know, when you look back at the last two and a half years, it's been the biggest experiment in the history of work for knowledge workers, not for in-person people, you know, delivery people, emergency services, healthcare, what have you. But for knowledge workers, it's been a huge experiment for hundreds of millions of people around the world. And, you know, organizations are experimenting with things. And so this ex- this experiment um, is going to continue for another year, year and a half. And only then will we actually know what will work versus what won't work. And then what will work for one company might not work for another company, may work for a certain industry, may work for a certain culture, might not work for another, may work for a certain part of the function of the company. So it might work for marketing. It might not work for finance. It might work for sales. It won't work for HR. So I think we're going to see a lot of sort of um, reflections and a lot of experiments and a year, year and a half from now, we'll now, it's like, be fun to come back in like a couple of years and sort of say, well, now we know things. 
And it will be interesting also in a couple of years to see exactly where Zoom's role is in that. When we spoke last, Zoom was riding the crest of this zeitgeist uh, wave. It had become synonymous with remote working, with video calls. You mentioned, you know, grannies earlier on. Everybody now knows the word Zoom. It is a verb now in the English language. It's kind of a phenomenon. And it was at the crest, the, the, the crest of this wave. Now it seems it's still there, but the markets have punished it a little bit in recent months, um, maybe because they see competition, maybe because of the general tech stock slump that's going on at the moment. Where will Zoom's position, will Zoom still be as strong, as prominent in a couple of years time or or what kind of, what can we expect to see? Well, let's, uh, uh, let's look at a, a few uh, public data points, if you will. So <clears throat> um, January 31st, 2020, at the start of the pandemic versus April 30th, 2022. So that's a period of nine quarters, okay? Start of the pandemic, uh, Zoom, we were uh, about 2,700 employees. Um, now we are north of 7,000. So almost three times the size of the company that we were. Our revenue back then was 750,000 annually. Revenue now, north of 4 billion annually. Back then, we had around 82,000 clients. We define a client as greater than 10 employees. Now, north of 500,000 clients. So this company has grown dramatically. Um, when you think about sort of enterprises around the world, companies around the world, they get it. Employers have become agnostic um, about where they're hiring their resources from. We have a skill and a talent shortage. And so, um, and when you look at employees, they are applying to jobs cross-border, different countries, et cetera. And uh, so I think that, you know, the, um, the world has changed for every, forever. Every industry has changed in every country. And, uh, you know, we now, I think we're in for a, uh, an interesting ride. And I mean, some of the analysts are quite bullish, actually, on Zoom that the, the most recent one I read was um, an expectation of a lot more users, more enterprise users. Zoom itself has has said it wants to focus somewhat on enterprise apps uh, as well. The acquisition of a conversational AI startup, uh, Solvi, yeah. products for customer service, uh, contact centers. And even in the app store itself, I've seen um, some interesting apps like Miro or Miro's collaborative whiteboard and uh, other apps within the marketplace that let people jump from group chat to group chat. So I guess that's partially where Zoom sees its own future as an enterprise uh, play with just the ability to do a lot more things. Well, uh, so let me give you a couple of examples of how the world has changed over the last uh, 24 months. So... You know, I'm at home in my apartment in Manhattan, uh, and I like fresh grapefruit juice. So I have a juicer. So Monday morning, I'm making my juice, and the juicer starts making a very weird sound. So after breakfast, I call the 1-800 number for the manufacturer. 
speak to this young lady, and um, this person says to me, would you mind if I send you a video link? I'm like, uh, sure. Sends me, text me a video link, I click on the link, turn the camera on, turn it to the forward camera, and she says, okay, so operate the juicer. So I operate the juicer, she goes, okay, this juicer needs to be replaced. Would you mind turning it over so I can read the serial number and the model number? Go ahead. Then she texts me a shipping label to send my juicer back, texted me directions from my apartment to where to drop it off, and texted me a tracking number for my replacement juicer. The whole episode took less than five minutes. I was like an extraordinarily, I mean, I called my wife immediately to tell her what had happened because I was an extraordinarily happy customer. I love this brand. I can't say it, obviously. Uh, well, you but could. I, You're not slagging them off, but go on. Yeah. Anyway, I don't. But it's on. like uh, I am like a fan of this brand. Mm. If you ask me privately, it's kind of like, what juicer should I get? Mm. It's like there'll be no hesitation. Note to listeners: next week you'll hear from me what juicer to get. Go on. <laughs> you know. So, and if you take other other examples, you know, if you take like retail, you know, when you when you're when you're in the um, when you're on a on a site, and let's say you're looking at a piece of luggage. You're looking at the luggage, you're looking at photos of the luggage, you're looking at a video of the luggage, and then suddenly you get this like chatbot that pops up. It's like, hi, Adrian. It's kind of like, you know, can I answer any questions? And now you're chatting with a chatbot, so you're doing this conversational chat with an AI. Imagine that now gets, um, that gets exhausted, and the chatbot moves you to a human. So now you're chatting with a human, but now the human asks, would you mind if we elevate this into audio so we can have a conversation? And then would you mind if I elevate this into video? Because Adrian, I'd like to show you the suitcase. So it's almost like being in the store and now I take the suitcase off the, off, the, off the shelf and I'm showing you how it works, I'm showing you the wheels, I'm showing you the locking mechanism, I show you the inside, I answer your direct questions. Now suddenly you decide, oh, that's the suitcase I want. And now you can order it and have it shipped online. Think about that as a as an from an experience perspective. That's where we're going. We actually have a retailer, a luxury retailer, we're working on to do something of that nature, not for a suitcase. Um, but I think that this a is a juicer, the, <laughs> not for a juicer either. Um, but uh, I, you know, the, the the world has changed dramatically. Yeah. So you and the point you're making is that all of these dots uh, can and are being connected uh, one way. Um, or well, it's, 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 you know, I mean, we talked for years about digital transformation. I don't think it, I never agree with the notion of that title of digital transformation because digital transformation means to me that you're going from an analog world to a digital world. I think this is more about digital disruption. We are, you know, sort of this, what we're doing now is we're disrupting the way we've been operating for years. Mm. Okay. In general, do you think your job or the job of a CIO in general was easier or harder during the pandemic, and and what is it looking like now? Yeah, I think it. Um, uh, and we talked about this actually at an uh, earlier uh, uh, event that I attended this morning, a little bit, and I'm hosting a session in a couple of weeks to talk about how the role of the CIO has changed dramatically, uh, and it, it clearly has been elevated to the boardroom. Our 
the the management room, if you will, the executive committee, etc. Um, which is where it should have been right from the get go. And so every you know everybody recognizes the criticality of technology. And the, the role of the CIO has, I believe, dramatically changed. It's more about orchestration. Uh, the, the role, you know, the CIO knows the art of the possible. So their ability to actually influence and make changes from a sales perspective, from a finance perspective, from a marketing perspective, um, has, uh, is quite dramatic now, more than ever before. Mm. Okay. Um, lastly, what are you going to do? You're retiring in four weeks. So yeah, so um, uh, very different to uh, my previous retirement plan. The current retirement plan is uh, three elements to it. Number one is I want to focus more on my family and my friends. Uh, you know, it's uh, when earlier in my career I was one of these people sitting in my office midtown Manhattan at seven a.m. in the morning and got home at nine o'clock at night, and the kids were asleep when I went to the office and they were asleep when I got home. So um, I've got two kids getting married this year, so I'm super excited about that. And I want to be present for them. Uh, and I want to spend more time with my wife. And uh, second thing is we want to travel more. So we've got some, you know, sort of great vacations planned. And uh, Where's so, top of the list? Uh, well, you know, my younger son actually is getting married in uh, early July. And when he graduated two years ago, 2020, we were planning on a going to the graduation and then because that was in California, uh, taking the whole family to Hawaii. Clearly in 2020 that did not happen. So we're going in uh, 10 days to Hawaii uh, and then coming back to California for his wedding. So that's the first trip. I only ask because I'm planning a trip myself next summer as part of a completely arcane thing, but trying to visit 50 states. Which island are you going to in Hawaii? Uh, Kauai. Okay, very good. We're, we've been told to go to the Big Island, um, uh, but then we would be more uh, typical tourists. So ping, ping, ping me in July, and I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, we, so we were in Maui a couple of years ago, and uh, so Kauai is meant to be radically different. It, okay. It's only you're, you can only sort of like visit. I think it's something like thirty percent of the island. The seventy percent of the island is vegetation. Yeah, doesn't like Mark Zuckerberg and one of the other two tech titans own another 20% of uh, some yeah, of the islands yeah, as well. Yeah. They gradually coordinate it off. And, and then the third part of what I want to do, so it's family and friends, travel, and then the third part is helping others, which is my wife and I are involved in a couple of different charities, and I um, mentor a lot of people around the world, and so I'm planning to continue to do that. Unless a really interesting founder CEO in some other business gives you a call in a few weeks time mm. and says, Harry, I know you wanted to retire, but look at this technology and <laughs> oh. sucks you back in. Yeah, so I will, I am, you know, sort of Eric Yuan is keeping me on as an advisor. Um, and so I'm um, uh, planning to do advisory work, not just for Zoom, but I'll do it for others. Uh, but I'm capping that at a number of hours per week so that I don't get, you know, what I, what I, you know, it's like, I don't know if you ever read the, you know, the, the traits of Jeff Bezos. So he's got, a, he's got a couple of, he's got several traits. I think they're like six or seven or eight. I can't remember the number, but there's two that always stuck in my mind. One was that he never sets an alarm to wake up. So he wakes, lets his body wake him up. So apparently, anyway, that's what I've read. Uh, so I want to, so to go to bed and not set an alarm unless I've got an early flight in the morning. 
So that's uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, Next yeah. time I talk to you, I can't wait to hear how that went. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one and two is uh, I don't want any more meetings at six a.m. or eleven o'clock at night. So you know, that's completely reasonable. I think so too. Harry Mosley, co-CIO of Zoom. Thank you very much once again for coming on our Big Tech Show podcast and the very best of luck with whatever comes next in your career. Pleasure to be here. And for me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, that's all we have time for this week. So we will be here at exactly the same time next week and we'll talk to you then. Bye bye. 